Hey WG listeners, Charlie here, Editor Charlie I guess. Um, so this episode hasn't really gone uh, the way I like um, in terms of quality control um, while we were recording. Um, I had some issues, uh, me personally, and uh, it came out as purely laptop vocals. Um, so yes, the quality is not on par with any of my standards, but it was a good episode nevertheless. So I wanted to give you a heads up on the quality of recording. And with that said, I'll leave you to it. Hope you enjoy the episode, nevertheless. I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Encarta. Run hip hop by the numbers on Twitter. I use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I'm Dredge of the Fifth Element. Well, I highlight the Fifth Element hip hop, which is knowledge. Fuck you. I won't do what you tell me. But I'll tell you to listen to what you did. Um, I went and saw Celeste Barber on Friday night. She's an Instagram influencer, and uh, it was she. She played Rage Against the Machine during the show. She actually played. Fuck you, I'll do what you tell. And she just. It's the it's the greatest thing. It's the greatest thing. I forgot who I forgot who did it, but like I was literally thinking something of that nature, where like a, like an American uh, politician said he listens to Rage Against the Machine. He's just like now and now Republican and all that shit. And I'm just like. You do not know the vibes. <laughs> you are not listening to the message. No. If you think that's your favourite band. Yeah, that's... Hi, Ben. Have you woken up? And what have you been listening to this week? This week. So I'm only going to talk about a couple of albums, but I want to go a little bit in depth because the first one is Post Malone. 12 carat 2. I know that people have been waiting for this Post Malone. No, don't do that. That's not fair on Posty. Poor old Posty. He's like... His heart and soul on this album. So look. Oh, yeah. See, he's always got this on deck in case Future drops an album during the week, which is highly possible. It's fucking... That looks fucking... What is that? Is that actually a mask for sleep? Because it looks fucking sick. That's actually pretty cool. I like that. So, yeah, 12 Carat Toothache. Uh, Look, I've read a lot of interviews with rock bands who blew up early and then kind of slowly diminished in quality. And they usually take a sabbatical and come back and... You know, they usually have like a mid-career revival and they all kind of said the same thing in these interviews. They needed to go live their life in order to reconnect with the same fans who fell in love with them on their debut. The first album versus the fourth album is a whole different kettle of fish. If those four records, like Post Malone, come within six years of each other, each subsequent album just becomes more insular. You know, every life experience is less relatable. It works for Drake and a lot of hip-hop artists because their brand can be built on, you know, voyeurism, shock value, aspiration, materialism, consumerism. We want to see these artists doing really well because it's like a life that we've never experienced before. We're fascinated by Drake for that reason. And Drake has never attempted to claim he's writing songs for the common person. He's writing about having Dubai plates in the California state. I'm not ever going to have that experience. I promise you that. But Post Malone is a pop singer, and his marketing aligns, weirdly, more heavily with hip-hop consumerism. He actually told an interviewer in 2017, I'm just trying to win people over, and it takes a little while because my music is new, it's fresh, and people aren't used to it, but I just want to change their minds. Now, Stoney, Stoney was new. Okay, Stoney was new. Beer bongs and Bentleys was epic. Hollywood's bleeding was gargantuan. It was huge. 12 Carat Toothache is dull. Genuinely, we got Post Malone warbling over generic production, 
from standards like Louis Bell about how he was born to take pills and make meals. He was born to fuck hoes, born to fuck up. We get deep dives on how and why he might chop the roof off his Suburban. He name drops in one verse, John Terzian, Jack Beer, sorry, Zach Beer. See, I don't even know these names. They're too high-end for me. I have no idea who the fuck he's talking about. Andre 3000, Gucci, Prada, Issei Miyake, Louis Vuitton, Bottega, Tell Me Hilfiger. This was all in the same verse. This is not relatable content. It's actually kind of maddening because every time he gets some sort of run on relatable emotional material, like lemon tree into wrapped around your finger, he drops lines like 10 billion cuties that think I'm the man, but if you come around, I'll be eating out your hand. Look, he can do it without those garbage throwaway pointless one-liners. We don't need reminders that you're uber rich. Like, that's not that's not the way to connection to, to the audience that Post Malone is built. Love Hate Letter to Alcohol with Fleet Foxes is a great example of what he can do on this record. It's a strong standout. It's beautifully arranged and Post Pain is palpable. You know, he details the hedonistic abandon his alcoholism induces. Then we get feature verses just destroying potentially brilliant songs. On I Can't Be a Sadder Song, Post emotes beautifully, but then Gunna comes in with a trash verse that's completely unrelated to the concept of the album and the track. Like, there's no point to this except to get streams up, and that's the push and pull between this album. Post Malone really wants to connect to his fans, but he is one of the biggest artists in the world, so he has to do these things like getting Gunna on a track. You know, the only guest that seems to have read the script was Kid Leroy. He drops an incredible verse on Wasting Angels. Like, it's just a pity the vocals are so faux epic. It sounds like they're sound checking in an empty stadium. It's big, but it's hollow. It's really... Euthanasia is a great track on here. It's very haunting. But then the second half of this album, he does this weird weekend ripoff. Uh, like, he just basically copies After Hours, which in turn was copying 1980s synth pop. So right now we're getting a cover of a cover. It's a total freaking mess. Any kind of salience or synchronicity and message is just lost to this poor imitation. And this is the crux. In that 27 interview, Post Malone responded to criticisms of cultural appropriation by saying he was creating something new and unique and it would take some people time to catch on. He wasn't wrong. He was new and unique. He blended pop and rock and hip-hop and country way before Lil Nas X did it. And he did it well. I don't think anyone could deny that he did it well. Whether you think he should have done it or not, whether you think it was disrespectful for him doing it, you have to admit he did it pretty well. But now he sounds like every other pop star being churned out of every major label writing camp in the US. is dull. is sad. There's no avenue for emotional connection here because every time Post manages to hit upon a relatable verse or hook, he either destroys it with unattainable brags, a guest comes in and ruins the vibe, or the label shoehorn him into some after hours like seaside and we like lose grasp of him, we lose grip of whatever the fuck he's talking about. And oh man, it's just disappointing. It's it it's okay, but it's by far his worst project. By far his worst project. Um, and I'll talk briefly about 070 Shakes You Can't Kill Me. I actually reviewed this on Beams, um, pretty similar. I'm going to say the same things because, you know, this was this was conceived over a two and a half year period. The original title was meant to be extended to "You Can't Kill Me Because I Don't Exist." Naturally, Mike Dean is involved here. Uh, 070 Shake actually calls him the album's final boss, and you can hear his synthesizers everywhere on here. And the album, you know, it oscillates from the opener web, which definitely sounds like a gospel number. It has like these really stark naked vocals standing out atop this really massive synth lead. There's synths everywhere here, man. Synth, synth, synth city. Synth city. 
Uh, there's some great slow burns like medicine or skin and bones. I actually wrote this, and I think it's true because I was listening to Pyramids on Friday with Frank Ocean, uh, or yesterday actually, and I told my partner, I'm like, this is one of the greatest songs ever made. I think that these two tracks are kind of like what you get if you fed pyramids through an industrial vat of acid and then cobbled together songs from the sludge that came out of that. Like, it's just, it's impenetrable at times. There's some really discordant changes of pace like Blue Velvet, which I think sounds like a Laura and Vula song on ketamine. There's like total bops on here, cocoon, body vibrations. It's kind of disconcerting because the second half of the record employs way more percussion, way more percussion. She kind of sounds a bit like Santa Gold. I don't want to keep comparing her to people, but there's just so many different influences. There's so many different sounds in this record, you know. Um, it, it feels raw. It feels really raw. It kind of feels like sketches that were unfinished, but that were so stunning that you had to sell them anyway. You just had to put them out. She actually told Complex the album is about dissociation, and I get a really cold feeling from these tracks. The sense of this heavy wall of sound, you know, they're kind of impenetrable. I certainly, uh, I get the feeling that rather than kind of sitting atop them, she she gets, and this is not a criticism, her voice gets lost within the sense, and I think that that is entirely I think it's by design. Um, vibrations, for example, when she kind of pushes through them and like sits in front of them, that makes you feel like, oh, now I understand where the rest of this album, like why it feels so so difficult to get into. But look, man, I've played it pretty much constantly since it dropped. I, I fucking, I really enjoyed this record. I don't think it's as good as her last, but I definitely think it's uh, it's going to be an album of the year contender for me. Um, just quickly, I, listen, I did listen to Sci High. Uh, it's good. It's good. I mean, people keep talking about how Sai has written hits for everyone. He's got a bunch of um, writing credits on Astro World. Obviously, written plenty of music for Kanye. Those tracks are more listenable than Sai High. Sai High is a very good artist, but he's a really good writer. He makes good music. I'm not going to say he doesn't. No Dope on Sundays is a is a good is a good project, but he just doesn't make the music that is at the level of the people he writes for, which is fair. That's okay. Not every don't look at me like that. Don't give me these looks, bro. I don't know. But yeah, look, I'm probably gonna get I'm gonna get dragged for that. I might um I might leave that off the YouTube. It's a mega mix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, that was me, Charlie. What about yourself? True digging in the digital right so yeah, true digging. <laughs> that was some elite level digging in the in a different way. <laughs> Alright, <laughs> uh, so I got a few projects in. Uh, plenty more than last week, that's for damn sure. Um, a lot of R&B, because I've been doing a lot of catch-up uh, this week. Um, so uh, I got put onto o- OG, OG, OGI, so I'm assuming OG, or OG, uh, Monologues, uh, Louis P, four, uh, five, six tracks, uh, 21 minutes, not too long. Um, Envy, Heater of a Track, um, was really just... Um, Debating on putting them in regular rotation or not, um, but yeah, it's just some it's just some really nice R and B right here, um, LA based um, Nigerian American uh, artist, and um, yeah, man, I just really I just really enjoy this EP. It's a really solid EP for sure. Um, definitely go give a spin. MC Ren Osiris. Um, I, I like the fact that uh, I haven't just <laughs> I was listening to Appetite for Destruction like a few a few days ago. And then I went to then I went to listen to this a couple of days after, and it's just so fascinating how, um, you know, some artists their voice never changes, but MC Rain is just like uh, I don't know, just 
uh, indiscernible from his you know youth um, youth put out. Um, he just sounds much more mature, much more deeper, um, and he's just testing flows here as well, mm. really um, switching it up. You know, he has like some fast rapping on uh, some on Keep It Gangs, for example. Rap. Some rapidy rap. Yeah, some speed rap. Um, some, <laughs> some rapidy rap. Um, you know, the news and time are definitely highlights um, for me personally. I really enjoyed those tracks. Um, just really just amazing. Just, uh, I guess, uh, just a sta- staging of um, what he's talking about. Um, obviously, with the sampling, it really works as well. So, yeah, man, shout to, shout to MC Ren coming back. Um after a few after a few years, I don't know when his last album was, but um, yeah, he's back. Two thousand nine, shit. Sheesh. Sheesh. He's, he, he's been out. He's been out for a minute. Um, so yeah, Sounds man. Shout out to MC Yeah, exactly. Uh, Alex Isley and Jack Dine, uh, Marigold. Um, I've been I've been kind of like lukewarm on Alex Isley. I've been I've been seeing I see the vibe. I see the what's the word? I see the I see the hype. Right, I see it. Um, I get it. But from the projects I've listened to of hers, I've kind of just been left. You know, it's it's cool. It's it's in. I've always put her stuff in the it's cool territory, um, where you know I'll give it a listen. I'll enjoy my time, but you know I'm not really like putting on my list or anything. So, uh, but you know this is this is this is something decent. I like I like this is something a little bit of a step up. Um, I'm really I really enjoyed this one. Nine uh, nine tracks, uh, twenty eight minutes. So you know, so you're there for a bit more. Uh, the features on here, not many. It's only Bars and uh, Robert Glasper, but um, when they come in at the, near, near the end, uh, really just uh, boost up the project for me. But you know, I think Jack Dine does really good, pro- uh, uh, really good uh, performance produ- uh, production-wise, and I think um, really gives Alex um, a, a real nicer stage to play upon. And uh, I think she ups her game as well. So um, you know, I think I think it's one of those one of those cases where you just have someone you know, putting out some good stuff on their side and you want to do the same. Um, I feel like there's some good chemistry there. So shout out to shout out to both of them on that front. Really solid projects. Uh, Sam with two M's, Henshaw, uh, Untidy Soul. Really enjoyed this one. Really enjoyed this album. Uh, 16 tracks, 41 minutes. Um, and yeah, just, uh, you know, South London, uh, born and bred kind of thing. Um, but he's got some really authentic, got really authentic voice. Um, really authentic, uh, just... Um, uh, talking points and subject matter, um, Toby Nguigwe, um and uh, some Maverick Sabre on here as well, and Keon uh, Harold on uh, Still Broke, really nice. Um, but yeah, man, I, th- I feel like it's just really, really solid British R&B, just another, yet another artist coming through in the British ranks on the British R&B front, and uh, yeah, man, I'm just really, really, really appreciate uh, his, uh, his uh, performance on here coming through. Uh, Moonchild, Starfruit. I've been put onto Moonchild um, till now, till recently. Um, Amber Neverend, who I've obviously spun before um, on certain features, uh, most notably, you know, E. Jones. Most of the time, I've that's when I've heard her most, um, and you know, general Jamla Records uh, uh, stuff. But you know, her uh, Andrus Matson and Max Brick Brick. Um, I'm assuming. Um, so it's an LA-based trio, basically, and uh, yeah, it's just if you if you if you haven't heard Amber Neverend before really breathy vocals really really like whispering your ear kind of thing going on but for me personally i'm kind of pissed that nobody put me onto this album this dropped in february and i don't know what you guys are thinking by not telling me this when Layla hathaway kicks it off alex isley comes through il camille comes through tank and the bangers come through rhapsody comes through and mumu fresh comes through 
have I not given enough yeah, <laughs> praise like, to all of those people like to, to, up, yeah. for you guys to tell me that this project exists? That's literally my job <laughs> is to put people onto that shit, and I miss that. <laughs> it's my absolute, absolute miss um, for for all of us involved. Um, but yeah, this is a superb project. Um, just really smooth R and B, LA based R and B, and Benevolent mostly. Um, they're on the vocals, obviously, <clears throat> and uh, the production itself. But you do get amazing features throughout, just sprinkled throughout. Not you know, not heavy, just a couple of sprinkles, just to keep you, just to keep you going. Um, but yeah, man, just an absolute miss. How how did I? How did we miss this in February? February job, absolutely crazy. Um, jazz players uh, with a Z. Uh, nostalgic vacation. Funny enough, you were talking about eighties <laughs> prestige. Um, this is just super, just into that, just deep, knee deep, neck deep. It's literally just uh, thirty minutes, thirty seven minutes of um, of just eighties um, uh, synth instrumentals, and uh, I'm here for it. It's kind of just like I don't know. It's like it's like a I don't know if you've heard of the term backrooms um, of uh, this. It's basically just like a it's like a creepy pasta thing. In, uh, in the, on the internet, where um, you where you clip, and basically you f like you trip over or something like that, and then the next thing you see, you're in a, like a a really like dimly lit room, like a like an empty office space, right? And there's nothing there, but you can but there's just shadows everywhere, so you can see some things, but not everything. It feels like that. It feels like <laughs> it feels like that when I'm when I'm listening to it. It's just eighty synth stuff. And I feel like I'm in a back room, weirdly enough, and just really, a really, uh, like if, like if the scene, like if the place in uh, Mad Men was just completely empty, and some of the lights were on and some were not, it's kind of like that, that's how I was seeing it, I don't know, weird, weird visuals, I know, but it is what it is. Um, Amber Mark, uh, Three Dimensions Deep, I was listening to this, and it's an hour long, hour on the dot, and I was just thinking to myself, listening to it, 17 tracks as well, and I was kind of just thinking about how many R&B projects I listen to, but most of them don't actually crack past 45 minutes. Uh, majority of them usually last for about 25, under half an hour, and some, you know, majority of them are EPs as well, and I keep, I was just thinking about it, I was just like... When was the last time I heard a R and B album that actually went past an hour? Um, you know, I listened to Untidy Soul, pre, um, Apri, um, aforementioned that's forty one minutes, but this one goes on for a whole hour. And you know, shout out to Amber Mark, man, because she just goes, she just keeps me engaged um, uh, completely on this record. Um, you get some house here, you get some different flavors. Um, especially with her as well, her performances, uh, you get some different flavours there. And she just keeps it fresh, she just keeps it fresh every time. There was like one track which kind of reminisced of another track before it, um, uh, ahead of, uh, more above the track list. Um, but apart from that, it's really good and it finishes really nice with stuff like Competition. Bliss just is begging to be sung live um, with a crowd and Event Horizon at the end is just... Um, just a really nice, um, just crooning uh, song where it's not really like lyrical, but it's just her crooning, and it's just a really nice finish. And um, yeah, man, shout out to Amber Mark man for just content for just breaking the mold a bit, because um, you know most of the time I'm I'm begging for um, my R and B faves to you know drop a whole project, and even when they do, it's like you know 28 minutes. I'm just like, eh, no, 
45, come on, let's, you know, let's, let's, let's get ambitious. And she went really ambitious with this, so uh, shout out to her on that front. And lastly, Jeshi, J-E-S-H-I, Universal Credit. Um, literally just finished listening to this before we record, and um, <laughs> it's just, uh, I, I was reading something about, um, you know, is UK rap running out of ideas? Because um, apparently... Um, uh, all the mainstream UK rap um, are sampling, um, you know, old school, you know, two thousand stuff. You know, we've talked about it with uh, H doing the Ashanti record, and um, you know, not into that at all, uh, at all. Yeah, no, um, that was but I was thinking about that, and then I was listening to Jesse, and I was just like, UK rap's fine, bro. <laughs> like you just once again, you guys just need to look deeper. That's all it is. That's all it is. Quit looking at the charts because I read an article about it. And, you know, they were naming stuff I haven't heard. And funny enough, they all tried. And I was like, well, there you go. There's the problem then. You keep looking into the charts. Stop looking into the fucking charts. Listen to Ardy. Um, this gives me... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That was another example they gave on the article I read. Um, but yeah, I was just... But listen to this. It's, it's authentic. Um, you got a, a, a Bong JR on a couple of tracks. Fred Wave on a couple of tracks as well. Um, especially a Bong JR. It's just, you know never missed on a feature in my mind um and uh natural lottery at the end was really just uh it gives me streaks vibes um uh jeshi i feel um not in terms of delivery or anything like that nothing that esoteric but just in terms of the um you know ten toes to the ground it feels like it feels like he lives around the corner kind of thing you know what i mean it's, it gives all that authenticity vibe so uh, i'm here for that so shout out to jeshi on that front and with that said, we shall hop into our topic for this episode, uh, which is the f- volume three of Hip Hop Neighbours. I got it right. I got the title right. It's not Hip Hop Adjacent, which which was my um, uh, working title before uh, before actually uh, settled on Hip Hop Numbers. The the true HHN, um, if I <laughs> in my mind. Um, <laughs> so if you guys haven't spun the first two, um, this is basically where we talk about uh, records that are not hip hop. Um, you know, they are not hip hop pretty much um but for some reason or another people in hip-hop circles are into them or they are aware of them or aware of such artists and um you know in some ways they are adjacent and they are our neighbors in terms of hip-hop um and i think we've got some i think we've hit the brief tastily on this this is our best we've hit the brief these are our best ones we've ever done for sure this is is the best one yet this is the best one we've done yet um i've had i've had mine in in mind for a while and i just kept forgetting to suggest it i do have one more that i want to suggest so i'm gonna write that down at some point um but yeah this one this one's been on the mind for a couple of months for me um but do you want to begin ben on yours or should i do i think i should begin because this album came out I (laughs) i think this album came out a year before Rage Against. And look, I'm going to do Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Spoilers! Blood Sugar Sex Magic by Chili Peppers. Look, I quipped on the pod a few months ago when I disemboweled the Chili's new album that their influence wouldn't be felt for years, right? But when it is, it will be swift and it'll be hard to listen to. Now, mm, hmm, 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 hmm. So look, I was referring to Californication and On. Uh, and history tells us that when the Chili Peppers influence, it's adjacent to garbage. Because in 2002, speaking to Penthouse, Anthony Kiedis actually said, Red Hot Chili Peppers probably inspired Limp Bizkit and Kid Rock. Now I quote him, I quote him here, We were early in creating the combination of hardcore funk with hip-hop, rap-style vocals in a live band context. We became maybe an inspiration to Limp Bizkit, Kid Rock, Linkin Park, all these other bands that are doing that. You could hardly argue against him. 
Blood Sugar Sex Magic dropped in 91, a full year before Rage Against the Machine dropped their debut album. By the time BSSM came out, Red Hot Chili Peppers already had four studio albums under their belt. So the timeline matches up. I can't think of any band in the mainstream making rap rock outside of Aerosmith linking up with Run DMC. Now, of course, you know, I mean, look, I'm going to argue that this is the genesis of our entire Hip Hop Neighbors project. You know, I'm going to argue that. Like, we can speak about Beastie Boys. We can speak about LL. We can speak about the Bomb Squad, and we will. We'll speak about them. But no one from that side was creating on this side, if that makes sense. These were hip-hop artists who were incorporating rock music with Rick Rubin into their music. This was a fucking straight-up funk rock band incorporating hip-hop into their music. Um, so let's speak about how we got how they got to this point, because if you join them during the early 90s, it might be perplexing to hear Anthony Kiedis freestyle rapping on these tracks, but the band tracked their influence back to Sly and the Family Stone, Jimi Hendrix, Parliament. Flea actually said in an interview in the late 80s, we play music, and this was in the late 80s, remember when I, when I quote this. We play music that's too funked out to get on white radio and too rock to get on black radio. Now, during that interview, the band watched Sly and the Family Stone, Parliament, and Funkadelic playing live, and they lose their fucking minds. They, they speak emotionally about how they're influenced by soul music and how it inspired them to create music from the heart, you know, music from the soul. Um, this kind of extended them to being desperate to have George Clinton on their second album, Freaky Styley. During Scar Tissue, the book that Anthony Kiedis wrote, a very harrowing read, by the way, I've read it about six times, Anthony Kiedis speaks on how honored and awed they were to be in George Clinton's presence during the recording of that album. Their second album, they fucking recorded with George Clinton. Like, that's some deep shit. That's some wild shit. Now, he told in an interview that he met Anthony and Flea at a music seminar, and he told them this. He said, funk would eventually go pop when some European band did it. And Anthony said to him, completely unperturbed, why not let an American band do it? And George Clinton was like, hmm, that's a good idea. And then they, they spent six weeks at his farm recording, like this, the, the, their second album. Now, seven years later, they did. They went full pop, man. They went super pop. And that's the funk connection established. Like, this was always been part of their music, you know, very, very funky early music. And it was always going to be a short leap to rap. Anthony Kiedis' delivery is not easy to categorize, you know. He flits in and out of rap cadences when it kind of suits the song. Obviously not as smoothly as someone like Queen Latifah, but it had a free association quality. It was kind of born of the poetry that Anthony had been writing most of his life. And as a reaction to the live performance crucible that the band was forged in, a lot of freestyling. Then we get Rick Rubin. And this is like, these are all just nails in the coffin of why this is the genesis of this whole episode. This is the genesis of this whole concept. The band actually tried to get Rick Rubin to produce for them in 1987, but he turned them down because they were out of control. They were partying, they were addicted to drugs, wild behavior. They had the vision early. Anthony actually told VH1 this about their second album, Freaky Style. I think that came out in 85, long fucking time ago. He said, when we made Freaky Style, we thought we were going to change the world with that record. I think we changed a small suburb in Idaho. They would change the world, but not until 92. Um... Their fourth album, uh, Mother's Milk, set the scene for them to skate on BSSM. Like They covered Stevie Wonder's Higher Ground and it blew up, uh, cementing the band and kind of opening them up to something that would change their lives, which was a bidding war. They were unhappy with the label EMI and they left. They eventually signed with Warner and this changed. You know, This has opened up a whole new ream of possibility. They enlisted Rick Rubin, who they felt they were ready to begin their, well, he felt they were ready to begin their spiritual redemption and they decamped to a haunted mansion to record. It was actually called The Mansion and Harry Houdini once lived there. 
Um, so look, man, if you've ever watched the legendary Funky Monks documentary, that is fucking cool. That is one of the coolest music doc. It's on YouTube. It's got like unreleased footage as well. I've watched it about three or four times. So fucking cool watching them record this album. It's iconic, man. It follows them through the whole recording process. Anthony freestyling most of his lyrics and the group just struck a rich vein of form, man. It's it's not too difficult to trace these hip-hop roots either. Chuck D actually told VH1 this. He said it was on the cutting edge of hip-hop, rap, rap, rock, fusion, alternative. And the goal actually on BSSM, surprisingly, was more melodic guitar music rather than the focus on the bass-heavy funk. And this is where rap rock began this is the genesis of it because prior to this record on their previous four studio albums they were very super funky they didn't have as much melodic guitar stretches you know it was i i personally think they were heavily influenced mud honey uh meat puppets nirvana i think that when nirvana hit and in the late 80s when mud honey hit everyone was just like oh shit like grunge is where it's fucking at right now and I think that they, they, they pivoted, and that pivot on this record just changed the whole landscape. Limp Biscuit pilfered horribly from this sound. They stole from this sound, um, you know, but beautifully as well. I'm, I'm always going to be a Limp Biscuit fan. But Anthony was spazzing, man. He was basically delivering slam poetry over the top of genuine pop rock instrumentals. The album is obviously best known for Under the Bridge, which is a song that Rick Rubin actually convinced Anthony to show to the band when he was initially hesitant. He didn't think it was a Chili Peppers song. But it's hardly the only highlight, like suck my kiss and give it away. They both danced heavily on the line of rapping and singing. You know, there's definitely that. And if those two tracks weren't as big as they were, then I don't think we'd be having this episode, to be honest. I think we would, but I don't think I'd be talking about this album. Because if it was just the deep cuts and the B-sides on this record that were like super rap rocky... I don't think it would have had the impact it had, but because those two tracks blew the fuck up, and look, Rick Rubin's magic is sprinkled all over this record. Um, you know, he was the one who ironically convinced them to move towards more melodic rock, more mainstream. You know, as you have to remember, as well as producing for LL, Run DMC, Public Enemy, Beastie Boys, he'd also worked with Slayer, The Black Crows, he would go on to work with Nine Inch Nails and ACDC, Donovan, Johnny Cash. You know, he was a purveyor of rap rock for sure, but he was also adept at melody, and it makes the moments like Give It Away so much more impactful. You know, tracks like So Psycho Sexy and They're Red Hot, they're just edgy enough to drag in the cool kids, but filtered with enough pop rock to ensure the soccer mums would be well sorted. Like in the VH1 documentary, they said the album connected with pretty much every demographic. So my huge question at the end of all this, and this is, <laughs> look, I actually still get replies on YouTube from my Red Hot Chili Peppers review. Someone this morning told me that I don't know what they... His name was Chunky Boy, and he told me that my review was terrible, so I told him I'll print it out and put it above my bed just so I remember that I I made Chunky Boy feel bad. I'm going to say something that's going to piss Chunky Boy off even more. Did we ever really need Chili Peppers? And that doesn't mean that the music is pointless, okay? That does not mean that the music is pointless. We needed them in a vacuum because I fucking love the Chili Peppers. Their next album, One Hot Minute, is, in my view, one of the greatest albums ever made. I think it is stunning, stunning fucking album. Obviously, Californication is pretty close to a flawless record. You know, there's there's not there's not a skip on that album. By the way, is a great record. But <laughs> holy fuck, did we create a trend that attracted the worst fucking elements of society? New metal. And if you don't agree with me, please go read about Woodstock 99. Please read some 
fucking Fred Durst was saying still in 2009, oh, my name's Freddie D. You know, the one who had Britney drop into her knees. Like, bro, no. No, 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 no. Anthony, you gotta, you gotta bear some responsibility for that. That's not acceptable behavior. So, question, were the chili peppers necessary? Was their influence... Did it... Uh, like... Yeah, I, I'm a white kid. I grew up on Limp Bizkit. Don't get me wrong, man. Fucking... I've got every Limp Bizkit album. I know every word to every song that they ever released. I adore them, but I'm not a fucking moron. I'm not sitting here being like, oh yeah, they they added to the, the musical canon in such a profound way. They're fucking trash. I know that. So... What do you think, Charlie? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you've obviously listened to the album. Like, let me let me know your thoughts on this. I'm very curious. I think the fact that um, the lyrics are major uh, majority uh, freestyled um, that makes sense now. Because <laughs> I was just I was just, I was just, like listening and like playing chess on my phone. I was just like, chess, wait, what? Fuck. Charlie's <laughs> playing chess and like checkers out here. He's just on another level. Um, um, yeah, bro. Yeah, bro. On levels. Um, but yeah, I was just I, I just, I just like, it just caught me out sometimes. I was just like, what are we saying here? What are we, what are we talking about? I have to like look up lyrics and stuff. I'm just like, okay, right. Sure. Um, I was going to question whether the, they were worth it or were they, or yeah, was their influence worth it, I guess. Um, I mean... There's always credence to give um, artists that manage to bridge a gap somehow. They always manage to um, take something um, with uh, with care and actually, you know, um, boost it in some way. Um, you know, there's there's even even before that, right? There's been there was rapping in rock music before them, right? Yeah, Obviously Blondie had a fucking uh, track out. What was what year Heart of Glass came out? Not that Blondie. Yeah. Was, I mean, yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, and um, I'd, I'd count. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I count some. I give. I I feel like something like um, something like the Stooges. Um, I want to be a dog. Like gives off just, 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 just a little bit of just a little bit of rap vibes to me. Like just, a, just the way it goes in terms of its rhythm. I think I don't know. I'm probably clutching straws there. Um, but yeah, it, while they while they weren't the first, and obviously Rick Rubin is kind of just the connective tissue here for most of it. Um, you know, I feel like oh, uh, it was. Um, yeah, sorry yeah, to cut the, you, but that was Rapture, not Heart of Glass. Fuck, man, I don't want to be on wax fucking. Yeah, rap. yeah, Rapture. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, nine eighty one. I was, I wasn't. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't. I, I was trying to think of my point, but yeah, no, yeah, it's Rapture. Yeah, um, but yeah. So obviously there was that, and that was like the first. I think that was the first track that we had rapping in it that charted. First number one like single in the US with rap vocals. That's crazy. First number one single. Yeah, that was it. That's the record. Um, so yeah, um, obviously we had something like that. Um, but yeah, I see. I find it funny that you're asking me this question when you spent like five, five-ish minutes uh, going on about how uh, revolutionary this album was in a lot of ways. <laughs> I mean, they could never know. Kind of like... They could never know. Like, this is not a criticism of the Chili Peppers sure. because how could they know that a young man named Fred Durst was buying up red the the market on red fitted caps and planning to create a fucking vortex of trash but like 
I mean, the accolades um, I'm seeing on Wikipedia here kind of back you up in some fashion. I mean, uh, uh, best albums 91, 15 via paste. Um, Rolling Stone put it on his five. I'll put it on the 500 greatest albums of all time. And in the three iterations they've done that, it actually has been boosted up to 186. When, when in the previous two, it was 310. So clearly, oh wait, uh, yeah, no, yeah, 186 out of uh, the yeah out of the 500. So clearly, the Rolling Stone saw that as oh we should boost this up nearly double. Um, 100 greatest albums in the 90s, number 19 via Rolling Stone. Uh, number uh, Q magazine 99 had it in uh, 90 albums of the 90s, 58, 101 essential guitar albums uh, via Guitarist magazine. It's a classic uh, album, spin, yeah, yeah just yeah. it's not even their best yeah. rock and roll hall of fame, yeah, rock and roll hall of fame, definitive 200, the top 200 albums of all time, number 88. So, yeah, better. there's some there's some credence, there's some credence here that um, this album had did a lot, um, and uh unknowingly like you said um created a um a bastard child that we call new male um <clears throat> but you know regardless of that the album itself is very fascinating to listen to um the the funk rock elements just come through so uh in such a chesty way and then obviously the uh, lyrical ability here um you know, it has it has these it has these moments where um, I'm not I'm not I don't think I was really too into the um, the rapping when it came. Um, I was kind of not got bars. I was kind of more into not Eminem level. <laughs> I mean, not no, the roof Doberman <laughs> roof over the roof Doberman <laughs> roof roof Doberman goes roof over your head like the roof Doberman roof. Not that level. So yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, you pre- thanks for proving my point um, in some ways. But yeah, um, yeah. So it's like while while those, while those moments were my favorite, um, I do find this album very interesting. With the, I feel like it doesn't go completely out of the window when uh, one hot minute comes through as well. It doesn't go completely out of the window, but it does take a back seat. The funk rock elements, um, obviously, they bring in more the heavy shit um, uh, that they previously had. I feel um more after that um but yeah i feel like this album's kind of just like a lightning in a bottle that's i think that's a perfect descriptor for it. it is lightning in a bottle where um they they tried something out and i feel like that's kind of just the genius of rick rubin in some ways where i feel like the dude just says <laughs> let's just try it out <laughs> and it just always fucking works yeah the majority of the time so yeah. I mean, you have to remember they have four studio albums before this. This is their fifth album, so it certainly was the culmination. Yeah, I didn't realize. There was, I, I said, I said to Ben like when we when he gave me uh, when he gave us uh, this uh, this uh, this homework, I was just like, oh shit, they've been actually <laughs> since the fucking eighth. <laughs> I didn't even know. I thought they started in the mid nineties or some shit. Nah, man. Fucking they've up. been around, and and a lot of these bands, they yeah. they just they paid their fucking dues. They paid their dues. You know, No Effects is a great example of that, and we'll talk about punk in a second, but like. Yeah, man, it's it's a fascinating album when you look at it in the specter of what happened to the Chili Peppers after this record because the first four albums, like Mother's Milk kind of is getting towards that, but Rick Rubin came in and cleaned them the fuck up in terms of their sound. He quantized the shit out of their sound. Like, they were super raw before this, super raw, just fucking slapping the bass, man, slapping the shit out of that bass. 
but like and Anthony you know his vocals are kind of like another bass guitar it's very off kilter very all over the place very percussive the way that he uses his his voice but yeah man then we get obviously this record and that was the end for them like that was it you were always going to get an unlimited love and it would never have happened if Blood Sugar Sex Magic didn't come out but um I I listened to this album again the other day and fuck me it's a good album I I fucking adore the Chili Peppers. All their 90s output, all the way up to By The Way. I even love Stadium Arcadium. I think it's a great record. But um, yeah, man, it's 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 fascinating just the, the evolution that they went through from playing like sweaty clubs with George Clinton producing their music to playing fucking epic stadiums with hundreds of thousands of people and doing fucking carpool karaoke with that clown that does it. I don't know that bloke's name, but yeah, man interesting interesting career path that they've had and uh yeah i actually think this is the most and what we'll get to next if this next album had come out before blood sugar sex magic that would be the genesis but this was i think this is definitely the genesis of the rap rock kind of thing okay well yeah i think i feel like there's probably uh, someone that probably would argue um different (laughs) different in some ways um but yeah, yeah, I guess you know, in in the in the rock. I mean, they could argue side of they'd things. Be ro- they'd be wrong. <laughs> no, look, I agree. Like on on this side of it, it's different because obviously, fucking LL had rock on his. Because he had rock album. box, you know. Yeah, he had the rock box and you know PC Boys and before that. Yeah, so, of course. Yeah. But I mean, this I is the other mean. side. This is the this is rock dipping the other side, into sure. hip hop rather yeah. than hip hop dipping in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, that's that's mine. Clear that up. Um, but yeah, we. I mean, yeah, hop straight into uh, my pick, and uh, it's Rage Against the Machine, their self-titled debut album. Oof. Um, dropped in um, nineteen ninety-two. Remember another summer. Sound of the funky drama. Um, first of all, iconic artwork. Um, just in general, just just a Buddhist on fire. I mean, it's just crazy. Um. Obviously, uh, I actually I, I wanted to look that up. Um, the reason uh, the, why that um, self-immolation apparently he sacrificed himself. Fucking hell! Shout to Tich Kwang. I, I can't. Why do I even try to say the name? I can't say the name. Um, but yeah, the album itself. Um, I find it's it's something it's something I've been thinking about for a while. And this is actually the first this past week the first time I've listened to it fully. And obviously, I've heard. I mean, I, I'm a Matrix fan, so you know, I've heard I've heard a few of the. Um, <laughs> I've heard a few of the tracks, um, but uh, listening to the whole album itself, um, kind of just—I'm—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised it, they even got it made in '92. Major um, label just too. To think about the—I know exactly. Just just that kind of um, yeah, via, via epic. Um, so. Yeah, it really, it really surprised me thinking about that uh, at first. And I was just like, I how they even get, <laughs> how they even make this happen for themselves? Um, but yeah, the whole album uh, gives off this uh, just uh, you know similar to uh, obviously the connective tissue for me personally here is always Public Enemy, um, considering that uh, uh, Tom Morello and uh, Chuck D have uh, you know started their own Prophets of Rage and. Um, Zach De La Roche has always been, you know, here and there on some tracks um, in in terms of hip hop uh, lore. Uh, most no, uh, well, most recently, uh, you know, RTJ 
um, having having uh, having a Zach on on their on their shit. Um, so you know, there's always there's always been a mixture um, for Rage Against the Machine, and obviously Zach Delarosha from the vocals anyway, and from what from him rapping, obviously that kind of makes it uh, what it is um, for the rap uh, for the rap rap rock rap metal whatever you want to call it um making that uh making that happen while i <clears throat> while i agree with you that um, on your on your side of the red hot chili peppers i feel like rage against the machine had this had this flavor about them obviously this um anti-establishment thing you know that's not that's that's not new uh, in terms of being in terms of 92 and now was never was never new then and it's not new now um plenty of i mean most of the let's say the more aggravated <laughs> forms of rock over the past over the decades have been have had this element system of, of um, anti establishment i'm just all i'm hearing system in the back of, of my head is whoa fuck even, the system even whoa, fuck the system fuck the system <laughs> Even go back to you know something like the Sex Pistols Fuck or the yeah. Clash, um, you know, in the in the British, in the British, uh, in the British rock days. Yeah, Beatles in yeah, Beatles. Um, you know, while that's probably probably wasn't there. Um, Not as yeah, there there wasn't. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't their bread and butter, but they but apparently, but I'll, I'll take your word for it that they did it. I don't, I don't, I didn't hear any any establishment in Penny Lane, so they were a bit different with it. They were, yeah. No, they were a little bit different because they were more about peace and love rather than burning the system to the ground. Yeah, right? they were more about the hippie era for most of the point, but obviously, yeah, I'm sure they branched out somehow. Yeah, they were they were probably not pro government, that's for sure. <laughs> Who is a pro government? <laughs> Just on that side of. What pro government? Yeah, is there... <laughs> Just trash music. Anyone who's pro government, that's garbage. I don't want to hear that shit. That reminds me of this um, Family Guy cutaway where Stewie um, is at Woodstock and he goes, Establishment, establishment. Yeah, I remember that. You always know what's best. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> Someone goes, You suck. And he goes, Learn the rules. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I love that clip, classic. boss clip. But anyway, Rage Against the Machine. Um, yeah, so I feel like Rage Against the Machine has just this aura about them that they have this, uh, they have the they have the authenticity card, and I don't think they've ever lost it in that fashion. And I feel like in terms of hip hop as well, linking up with obviously you know projects right, Proverbs of Rage, while I was talking about, which was pretty much all the whole band without. Um, Zach DeRosha instead had B-Roo and Chuck D and DJ Lord, um, you know, stuff like that is always gives creed, uh, credit to me um, as a hip hop student just seeing that. And I wanted to give this album a listen just just because of that and seeing if someone like Pu- Chuck D and Public Enemy can mess with people like this. And another point, by the way, Chuck, um, uh, you know, Anthrax doing Bring the Noise. Um, whenever that happens, that's another you know um, uh, important milestone in my mind because I think that was on like the t- Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Two soundtrack, if I remember correctly. Absolute, tr- absolute banger there track. There was a lot of um, rage crazy. on, yeah, on that Tony was a crazy Hawk stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. There was, yeah, there was a rage, there was a rage track as well on one of those as well. Um, definitely. So yeah, they they just have this. I don't know. It's kind of like the you know cultural. Um, uh, cultural credit, but also just you know actually being 
a band that actually you know fucks with what they're actually talking about and in my mind keep that they keep the energy um i remember listening to a i remember watching an interview i think like bbc did it with tom morello and uh and just and him and Chuck D, actually, I think they were talking about Protestant Rage, but they were talking about, you know, government and history and how history repeats itself and stuff like that. And it's just very fascinating watching these people, um, you know, coming from obviously different backgrounds musically, but they come together in that fashion and having something like Rage Against the Machine, the album itself, obviously super politically charged, the artwork itself is just... I want that on vinyl immediately. Like as soon as you see it, you're just like, I don't care what it is, give me the fucking vinyl. I just want that and put it up on my wall. It just looks fire. No pun intended. Um, but the music's fucking sick as well. Um, music fucking slaps. Like bomb track, obviously killing the name, classic track. Um, Take the power back. Wake up. Uh, probably my favorite um, Rage Against the Machine Machine track. Um, and yeah, man, it's just it's just really. It's it's very simplistic, I think, lyrically in some way, but the fact that but, but sometimes simplicity is all you need, right? Um, they they don't go too, you know, uh, what's the word? Yeah, they they, they go they go too in depth with it. I mean, even in like killing in the uh, killing the names, like um, uh, I forget the fucking lyrics now. <laughs> uh, something like the man in white. I'm gonna look up. I'm gonna look at the lyrics up right quick. I'm gonna look at the lyrics up. So um, yeah talk while i am actually tweeting right now uh which i i kind of got caught there I, my timing was poor uh, got you, got you. all right let me just get this tweet out there you know i've got i've got i got a lot of followers i gotta keep them updated he's always on, he's always on he's always on job people he's always on job uh look <laughs> all right here we go um, go yeah those who died are justified for wearing the badge they were chosen whites it's just it's simple but it fucking hits when you think about it it's just it's just Oh, it's just slaps, and obviously the do what they told do what they told you, and won't do what you tell me. Um, it's just it's simple, and that's always what I enjoy. You know, obviously as hip hop people, we think about hip hop heads. Um, <laughs> you see, I, I tried to avoid it, but you went for it. Go for it. I'm a hip hop head. I'm a hip hop head, bro. It's hip hop heads. As hip hop heads, we um we kind of uh, I think sometimes get lost in the or sometimes lose the um, admiring for simplicity and like less is more, um, and you know that's something that rocks always I feel feel like is always appealed to for having those simple uh, simplistic lyrics that say a lot even though they're not saying everything and the repetition and stuff like that and it sticks in your head. Do you know what I mean? Um, just hearing, you know, just hearing, I can hear Zach in my head just going, that was a dad, that's just a bad. Like, I can hear that shit, and you, just, and, you know, it's constantly repeated in your head and just fucking nailed down into your brain. Um, and, you know, sometimes that doesn't, that can't work for something, you know, just like a, 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 a hip-hop track that has, you know, uh, <laughs> several verses of, you know, intricate uh, things going on. Um, it takes a lot more to digest, but when you listen to this and something like Raging Machine, it's just so simplistic, but it's so powerful because of that simplicity, and it just nails into your brain, and you just like, and you know, there's enough. I feel like there's enough um, 
uh, enough hiding there for you to actually think about it properly and go, what does he mean by those who die to justify it for wearing the badge, their chosen wise? What, what, does, what does he mean by that? Um, so, yeah, man, I think it's a perfect balance in terms of what rap rock is and what it can achieve. No, for sure, man. Look, Dak De La Rocha is certainly one of the most vibrant characters of the 1990s. Uh, his grandfather fought in the Mexican Iconic. Revolution. Uh, in a stunning interview with Jesus Ramirez, Zach actually spoke of his grandfather's experience uh, with, Revolu- with the Mexican Revolution. I'll quote him. He said, It's important for me as popular artists to make clear to the governments of the United States and Mexico that despite the strategy of fear and intimidation to foreigners, despite their weapons, despite their immigration laws and military reserves, they will never be able to isolate the Zapatista communities from the people in the United States. The rock band Rage Against the Machine has become an alternative medium of communication for young people. I love this. We have created a great level of cooperation between groups and people to spread the ideas of the Zapatista movement in its relationship to the poor, the young, the excluded, and the dispossessed in the United States. Through concerts, videos, interviews, broadcasting of information at concerts, and our song lyrics, we have placed the experience of the Zapatistas within reach of young people, our audience. We act as facilitators so they can participate. I think that's insane. I love that. Fucking, every time I hear him speak, he just is on on point like crazy. My introduction to them was Tony Hawk Pro Skater, man. Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Uh, killing in the name of just over and over and oh, that went platinum on a lot of PS1s. That song, that that, that song was getting rinsed. Sheesh. It's got 603 million Spotify streams. Exists, in my view, one of the most pure forms of lyrical expression in music history. It's so powerful, but it's so listenable at the same time, motivating, empowering. I've read a lot about Zach De La Rocha because. You know, he's just been a fascinating character. Um, he's actually been criticized for being too political. In fact, in a 96 piece in the LA Times, it opens with the headline, the band members once thought they'd be too political for anyone to care. They were wrong. But that's it, man. What if hip-hop is... What is hip-hop if it is not political? It will always be political. Uh, it's forged in this fire in racism, oppression, government control. And, you know, it's, it's kind of... Unf- I don't want to give all the credit to, to the lead singer. I mean, Tom Morello has been pivotal in the content um, as, the, as the groups progressed. And he told the LA Times, I'll quote him, My ambition was to be a revolutionary. But how do you become a revolutionary, especially when you're living in a sleepy little place like Libertyville? I thought the best way to arm myself was to get the best education I could. I never thought that we would sell a record. I thought the politics would be too alienating, too extreme. But I'm proud the music is extreme, the politics are extreme. When you open your eyes to what is going on in the world, you realize that a sort of moderate medicine is no good to cure an extreme illness. There are a lot of bands who support some very noble causes like abortion rights, environmental issues, and things like that. But we're talking about a bigger overhauling of society. To me, the reaction to our music is a reason for hope. And I think this is obviously the key point of difference. And I I do wish this album had come out before the Chili Peppers had blown the fuck up because I would love to say that this is the genesis of rap rock. I would love to because it could it, it had already peaked. It's kind of like how people say rock music peaked in 1977. Rap rock would never be anywhere near this level ever again. And, you know, the Chili Peppers were always about equality and love and kindness and spiritual connection. Their music was not hyper-masculine, but it also didn't have like a massive edge to it. You know, the deepest they got was suck my kiss instead of suck my dick. You know, like, you were made to suck my kiss. And then you're like, oh, he almost said dick. 
Like that was as edgy as it got. But rage were, rage were entirely different, man. They harnessed the energy of the nineties, the malaise, the apathy. They coaxed in the grunge crowd who were used to milling about in sweaters, lamenting the inequality of the world. They enticed the punks by throwing every fucking thing at the wall and just screaming, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. And they grabbed the rap fans by eviscerating authority and government and scorching anarchist tracks like Take the Power Back, Township Rebellion, Freedom. You know, these were fucking fiery songs, man. And look, this is a crazy mm-hmm. thing. I get mm-hmm. so much more of a punk vibe from Rage than I do a rap vibe, for example. Like, despite the fact that sure. almost all of Zach's vocals are rapped, just the total abandon of pretense. You know, there's an energy that I feel, and I'm not I'm not an expert on punk music. I'm just an outsider. I love watching it, and I, I love in the energy, but that that's the energy of punk music to me is they do not give a fuck you might if you see it written down on page fuck you i won't do what you tell me or a chorus of like they say jump you say how high you might see that written down and be like that's a bit cringe but when you hear it it's about the energy like zach's lyrics were no holds barred you know on wake up they have some j edgar hoover quotes know your enemy he said fight the war fuck the norm this is straight up punk man it's okay to be cringe if you say it with your fucking chest it's nothing wrong with that man it's okay to be a little mainstream if you throw your heart and soul into it and i find it so fascinating that we have such discordant albums on this as they came a year after each other and they were both very pivotal to the rap rock genre Chili Peppers were obsessed with soul music. Punk music is is the same. Like, you know, during that interview in the 80s, Flea said that soul music is something you feel. It infects you. It's about the performance. That's punk music, man. It doesn't matter how it's delivered. The energy and the authenticity is all that matters. And Rage Against the Machine, like, fucking crazy. And in January 2022, um, Far Out published the headline, The Unwavering Politics of Zach De La Rocha. And they wrote this. Whilst the vitriol in his delivery is something that many subsequent vocalists have tried to replicate, there's another defining factor that has carried De La Rocha and Rage Against the Machine throughout their illustrious careers. It's their politics, left-wing. He opposes corporate America, the military-industrial complex, and government oppression in all their forms. In fact, Rage Against the Machine may be seen as much as a collective of political theses as a musical work. The album is brimming with political arguments that some may argue veer on conspiracy theory. Like, look, man, I think this is incredible. I think this record is incredible. Like, if if we listened to hip-hop pre-major labels getting involved, this is the energy, man. This is the fucking energy. This is NWA. This is Fuck the Police. This, yeah, man, I, I fucking love this album. This is, this is... I think they're some of the bravest individuals to exist because this album went three times platinum and 45 on the billboard 200 and rather than shoot for more stardom the way that the chili peppers did as the decade progressed they just showed they didn't give a fuck evil empire battle of los angeles they'd lost none of their fire whatsoever they just tripled down on it it's fucking amazing i have a lot of respect for rage yeah so a couple things uh firstly uh shout to bbc radio five live who had the we last thought to put Rage Against the Machine on their uh, platform and uh, asked them not to swear on radio, which oh, yeah, was hilarious cool. because you knew exactly what you. Uh, if you've seen that video, you know you know you know the vibes. Uh, secondly, it was it was a uh, Gorilla Radio um, uh, on the uh, Tony's Pro Skater Two soundtrack. Um, so that was a '99 off the album Battle of Los Angeles. Uh, let's go, Gorilla Radio. Yeah, I remember that. Um, I remember like <laughs> I literally have a distinct memory 
of, of playing like the school level. And just that comes in, it's like, dun, 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 like, and then you just like fucking ping it down the stairs. Anyway, um, yeah, and, fuck, uh, I remember that too. That oh shit, that's yeah. old school. That was a fucking cool <laughs> level too, eh? There's so much cool shit. In that Best level. level, bro. Best oh, top tier level. Yeah. Top tier level. Um, whole whole. My number two was the best one in my mind, honestly. Like location wise, this was great. Um, bring the noise with Anthrax and Public Enemy was on that soundtrack as well. Um, both 1991, by the way. So, uh, yeah, might have to change up your. <laughs> What's that? I have to change uh, 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 what was it? Uh, bring the noise, Anthrax and Public Enemy. Uh, from they were on both on both their albums, and they were both dropped in 91. So. Yeah, but I mean, let's be fair. The Chili's were doing it since 84, so like. <laughs> Just say. I know, I know. I, um, I look. I, I fully understand. Yeah, fully. And thirdly, uh, shout to Wikipedia for this amazing entry. Uh, in December 2008, BBC Radio 1 DJ Zane Lowe included Rage Against the Machine as one of 28 albums in his Masterpieces oh, series. Oh, sure i got to check that out. Very happy. That's compelling content. <laughs> I'm sure Ben's very gassed up to, to, to be there. Can't wait to help on BBC Sounds and uh, hit that. I'm that there right there, now. There I'm in <laughs> Why the? Can you send me the the, the Zach De Rocha, uh interview? That that sounds that sounds cool. Mm. Read. I want to give that a read. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, I can't really. I don't really have much else to say on it. I just, I just feel like um, there's a. Uh, I think the political nature that you were talking about um, and how that connects to hip hop fans and how the other things connect to connects to the punk and rock fans. Um, yeah, they do really. Now that I'm thinking about, it, they do really cover a lot of bases. Um, there's actually a really good um, uh, quote here from uh, Robert Hilburn uh, of the LA Times uh, calling it, uh, quote, a striking politically conscious debut and Zach De La Rocha as a bona fide star who combines a stage, a, a Bob Marley-like charisma and Chuck D-style rap command, uh, which, you know, that's not, <laughs> if you're going to be compared to two, two names, not the worst, uh, not the worst two names you could be compared to. Um, so yeah, man, shout out to shout out to Rage Against the Machine, man, absolute, absolute bangers, absolute bangers uh, of, of all time. And uh, with that said, we shall finish there and hop into a lighter note. If you have anything, no, I use up all my lighter notes to post on Beams now. I just I ran out of content. <laughs> yeah, how's that going, by the it's way? It's good. I like Beams. I really do. I think um, yeah. I think there's a, there's a possibility for it to to grow. Um, it's kind of fun. You haven't you haven't guessed up on here, so would you like to explain to the people what Beams is and why you're on it? Ah, it's pretty simple. It's just 90 second voice clips, kind of like TikTok for adults. It's um, <laughs> I still it's TikTok radio. <laughs> I still think that should be their tagline. But yeah, they're um they they're giving me some some cash money to promote their platform and to post on it and to be a content creator. So I thought, fuck it, man. And I don't normally take these kind of opportunities on but i was like actually this seems pretty cool like i actually i believe in it i've done some analyses for money in the past that i haven't necessarily believed in but the you know i had fucking car insurance due or some shit this one i didn't need the money i just thought it was pretty sick so yeah man if you want to jump on beams much more my content is much more vibrant than that 30 second snippet I just gave you that was very dull and sleepy I think it's um, but it's kind of funny like yeah just read just watching other people hearing people's voices that I've known for years but never heard their voice I've sent a couple to Charlie I'm like 
did you know that this person sounded like this? And Charlie's like, oh, shit, okay. Yeah, yeah it's... Well, why would I? It's fascinating. <laughs> I mean, I'm continuing... I'm continuing with my desire to... What I really want to do is interview all of hip-hop Twitter. And I just want to put him somewhere on YouTube and you can just go to them and you can make your own decisions about hip-hop Twitter because I feel like a lot of these big accounts, you have no fucking idea who's behind them. You don't know where their perspectives are coming from. You don't know what the history is. You have no idea. There's questions that they avoid answering and I kind of want to interview all of them ask them those questions and I'm just going to be impartial. I'm just going to ask the questions and they can answer them in whatever they want and then you'll know and then you'll have it as a resource. So that's my goal. Um, yeah. I put that Shane Noir interview I've always had that. Did you watch that? Yes. I what did you think? Yes. It's fast. It was fast, wasn't it? Very fast. Almost, <laughs> yeah, it was just rapid fire. Um, do you actually want a thought for me or like say do you actually want a thought from like an actual objective thought for me or if you have something because I, I just have jokes uh no it was good no it was good um i i do i saw i saw the potential in it of just like damn what could have happened if you had an hour um so it's kind of it's left it left me one in of course um for sure so i guess that's something it was disappointing. Um, let's put it that way <laughs> sure sure but um uh on a on a previous on a previous point you made um, on the anonymity aspect of you know hip hop twelve, I feel like I've had that I've had that existential thought when it comes to memes. To be honest, like I see certain memes and I'm just like this is very specific to a certain culture, and I'm just wondering whether this meme page that I'm that I've just tripped up upon on on IG, regardless if they've made it or not, like do you? Do you actually can you can you actually post this if you weren't anonymous? You know what I mean. Yeah. So yeah, and that's kind of and that's kind of always the interesting thing about meme culture in general, where there's a lot of memes you see and you're just like, who the fuck makes these memes? You know what I mean. You just wanna you you just want to dive in and try and dis try and find. It's like when someone it's like when somebody tells you a joke. It's like that Family Guy episode where they try and find the origin of origin of jokes, and I kind of just want to find out the origins of memes, but I feel like a lot of people wouldn't want me to do that or wouldn't want anyone to do that because anonymity in meme culture is probably very, very, uh, I, I, I feel probably it's very um, uh, coveted um, amongst most people, especially the people that actually make the memes because I don't think they'd be making some of these memes if they, if, if they, if they had their face on it, um, you know what I mean? So... I don't know, and it's and that's that's always just been the thing that jarred me the most about meme culture in general. I'm just like, did someone make did did a black guy make this black meme? Because I I'm because if if they didn't, we we might have to have some conversations here. Um, but you know, obviously that will probably never happen because I don't think anyone cares enough to discover the origins of certain memes. <clears throat> um, you know, apart from you know the ones that come from specific events like you know crying jordan comes from the his basketball hall of fame and stuff like that so you know obviously those are very easy to find but i mean like you know the like deep fried memes and all that shit like where did that shit come from so just just just, just something that came to came to mind when you were talking about that kind of stuff because i'm always constantly thinking about that whenever i see a certain meme where it's like culture specific and i see it from a page that doesn't give off the vibe of being culture specific i'm just like eh, okay 
where did, where did this come from and how did you how did you get this and and can, do you feel like you can post this i um anyway. firstly why the fuck am i all blurry fuck off i don't know uh anyway i'm blurry <laughs> but one thing i have i will say and this is a little bit of insider knowledge into what it's like being white in a majority white Oh, I'm back! I'm back now. It's I'm, I've obviously got compelling content because my camera's decided to show me again. <laughs> there are sure. there are people in my past who it's almost like they're desperate to get out the racism. They're desperate. They it's like they're it's like that Simpsons episode where they go to the Super Bowl, remember? And they all get on the bus, and they're like, "Oh, there's no women around. Thank God, we can finally let our guts out." And they all go, "Ooh!" And they all just like stop sucking it in. And then they get on the bus and the woman's dri- the driver's a woman and they're like, oh no, I don't know if I can hold it that long. That's what it's like being around racist white people. Like, as soon as they get the opportunity, they're just like, oh, thank God I can let this out. Oh, I fucking hate all other cultures. Oh, oh, oh shit, I had to hold that for a whole week, man. Uh, there's, there's someone at my job who's not white, straight, and male. I couldn't... And so it, it concerns me when I see memes like that because... It's almost cathartic for racist people, sexist people, bigoted people to like release that energy. And it fucking scares me a little bit because when I see certain memes exactly as you're saying, and I don't know who's saying this, I don't yeah, know where you this... just see something you, yeah, you see something edgy and you just have that question in your head, you're just like mm, Are you This is too this is too edgy are for you a woman to make this. Year woman old joke. Investment banker, like cuz that's the vibes. Uh-huh. If that's what you are, you shouldn't be posting this shit. So no, I I fully agree with you on that. I um, it's concerning. It's it's certainly concerning. I I think I look. I understand the value of anonymity when it comes to Twitter because fuck man, it's pretty scary. It's really scary to put yourself out there, and I wouldn't. I, I don't think it's fair for me to say every single bigger account should be unmasked because a lot of these people just started accounts and they blew the fuck up they didn't they didn't expressly set out to get 40 50 70 100,000 followers and that shouldn't mean that they have to reveal themselves just because they have a following but it doesn't mean that we're not going to be fucking curious about it of course we are so whoever is willing to jump on these interviews i'm going to interview them and we're going to see what kind of energy we get um, and people can make their own decisions how they feel about that energy. Yeah. Um, as a as a Milano for myself, um, I want to throw out there just a quick one. Um, why are, why are wireless earphones so hard? Like why and not in the good way. Like why why are they just difficult in general? They're so fucking difficult. So I just got these. Um, I just got I just got some new earphones, right? Um, because uh, the ones I had um, previously. I mean, they're fine, but. They they like loop around your yeah, ear kind of earphones, so like, yeah. yeah, and you know I can I can move the th- I can move the loop about, so like I can like pinch it, so it like locks down on my ear a bit more, so you know, and you can you can you know, customize it to your own fits in some in, uh, so to speak, right? But one of the loops have just like gone limp, and I can't like clip it down, so it's just standing up like that. It's really it just looks weird, and it doesn't feel comfortable at all. <clears throat> so I got some new, so I got some new earphones, and the, and it's just a, just an example, just an example, right? They're, they're you know, they're, they're small, just um, you know, just circular things, like you know, just regular wireless earphones of of the modern day, and while they work, sound wise, I can't. It takes me so long to get the fit right. I'm I'm currently wearing uh wired earphones that I got. 
as part of my LG V40 back in the, <laughs> a few years ago, right? I'm, these are still going, right? And obviously I'm not using them for heavy music or anything like that, or, you know, just kind of everyday listening. I just use it for the podcast and stuff like that, and obviously just plugging my mic. So, and these fit in great. These fit in perfectly. Silicone, boom, in, can't hear anything else. It's fine, it's great, it's, it's all good. Why is every other wireless earphone so difficult? Even the ones I have, even the ones I have, I still have them, my older ones, um, with the loop. But they just, they just shape differently, and it's just like, why, why are the? I want both. I want, I want the. I want this and this to be the exact same thing. I want, I want them to bash them together. Um, so, but I can't. And it's just, it's just like there's always pros and cons. I have to, always have to make concessions. At this, at this moment in time for earphones and it's really doing my nut in because previously I had some like wired earphones of this nature like my favourite ones was these Sennheisers I got for like 70 quid and they were mint they were mint they fit in my ear nice they you know you had that you had that you know that suction cup like thing in your ear where like you know you pull it out and it's like vroom like, you know when you feel like underwater it's like vroom um, you know it was great and it sounded great why is it so hard to just find like a, 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 a not a, not a perfect wireless earphones, but just a, a wireless earphone that just gets a job done in every single facet? Like, I don't know why I have to keep making concessions for these so re uh, in the re recent years, and it's not like the quality is better, by the way. Like you know, get yourself a get yourself a, a an MP3 player these days. Newsflash: MP3 players have gotten good uh, recent in, re in recent years. More expensive, but very good if you actually want to listen to music in the way it should be listened to. Um, and yeah, you know they have a headphone jack. They sometimes they have three head types of headphone jack, uh, depending on who you are. I'm getting to audiophile territory, and I don't think I'm an audiophile in that fashion. But wireless if but wireless listening is not the best listening, by the way. People just wanted to newsflash to that to you. Um, you're sacrificing music quality. I'm uh, sacrificing music quality in some fashion um, for these wireless earphones, for the convenience of having just to pop it out your ear, pop it in a box, and put it in your pocket. So I don't know, man. I, I just I just mini rant about earphones for some reason, but I don't know. It's just weird how things have gotten better in some ways, but a lot of the ways it's taken two steps back. I'm still a bit miffed that my phone doesn't have a headphone jack. It's, 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 I constantly think about it. I'm just like, in this day, I would love a headphone jack right now, <laughs> just so I don't have to fuck about with these fucking wireless earphones. But here we are. I made my bed. I'm going to sleep in it. Okay. I, I understand your frustration. <laughs> I do. I do. Do you wear a wireless earphones? Yeah, I do. And they're shit. They're terrible quality. That's why I've got these fuckers on right now because they cut out all the time. They fuck up with all the recording that I'm doing. They just they're trash. But I need them when I run, so I'd much prefer to use these ones on my on my head right now. Oh, why is yeah, why? I've, I've never no go go sorry. No, I've never been into um, headphones like overhead over ear headphones. Um, never been musties always been like um i've always enjoyed like smaller ones where i can just like pop it in my ear so this is perfect by the way this is just it's just i don't know it's just annoying how some fucking headphone earphones i got from lg is part of my phone like it's, it's just 
doing the job. It just doesn't make sense in life, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, simpler is better. So it really, it really is. I don't, I don't, I don't really get triggered over wires too much. I'm not, uh, I'm not a runner. I'm not like, you know, I don't care. So, anyway. Anyways. We shall leave it there. Leave it there. <laughs> I feel like Ben's just, like, I'm sending Ben to sleep. No, 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 I need to, um, I need to, I need to use the restroom, actually, really quite badly. Okay. So, the whole time, internally, I'm like, how long can this guy talk about headphones, bro? I, I'm busted over <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, you're being honest. Ladies and gentlemen, for the podcast network, it's been digging this. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I've been trying to tell you the fifth. I've been Ben Carter for Pop Numbers. We <laughs> hope you all have a good week. We're sure it's trying to do the same. Take care of your bladders. And until the next time, take it easy. Alright, peace. And he's off. <laughs> I will be. Digging in Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me, music for the show. It's piece of video games by bonus points. It's chill breakers for the ability to use. Socials for the fifth element, hip hop by numbers, bonus points, chill records will be in the full show notes as well as the names of products reviewed wherever you're listening. It's been a fifth element podcast and reproduction. Thanks for spending time with us. We'll see you next time on Digging in the Digits.